Pray with me. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity to come together, your children, on this Father's Day, and to meet with you, our Father in heaven, who loves us and cares for us. Thank you for teaching us today, helping us to grow closer to one another and to you and to your grace and truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Billy Graham said one time, a good father is one of the most unsung, unpraised, unnoticed, and yet one of the most valuable assets in our society. And it's true. In this politically correct culture that we live in, many colleges and universities, even the, the, the great University of Texas, or once great, this year has decided that masculinity is a mental illness Yeah, it's sad, and so it's become even more and more important that the father assume his role and not uh, be castrated by society. Kids need a father. Many of us failed in that, and were failed in that, and we became the very thing we hated before we came to know the Lord. That's why I admire so much those who have been there and stayed the course and and done such a fine job. Because it's much easier to become a father than it is to be one. And a great deal of our society is growing up without any father figure in the house. We have a government that rewards women who will not allow the husband to be in the house. (laughs) This is true. And there's just a, a broken culture, a broken world. Well, if you believe the word, which we do, It says that this world is governed by Satan for a time. The only protection from that is to to know the Lord Jesus Christ. To know Him as your Lord and Savior. And then, you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. To walk in power and victory and love and protection of God. All the days of your life. Doesn't mean bad things won't happen or come at you. They will. But it's a much, much better life. I try to explain this to people all the time. And when I meet other ministers and other Christians, I'm asking them, what are you doing? What is God telling you? How can we be more effective? And they're asking me the same thing. It's just a natural desire for those of us who know Him to want others to know Him. And you look around, you see the desperation of the world. The arrogance and the pride of the world. The deception that the enemy has deceived them with. And you really want them to know this Father in heaven who loves them. 
First John 3, verse 1 says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. Therefore, the world knows us not, because it knew him not. This whole Christian thing is foolishness to the world. And now the devil, having infiltrated politics, entertainment, the media, and all of the aspects of our education, is, is working from those avenues to convince people that not only is he not real, but God is not real. Or if there is a God, it's just the same one that accepts everybody, no matter how they've treated his son. And that this Christian ideology (laughs) is hateful. That's what they want the world to believe. And so this religion, they call it, it's a life in Christ, Christianity. The only thing that can introduce you to true love and to cause you to truly love as God loves, not with the love that is out to get something, but is just giving, they call hateful. Because if you don't, if it doesn't approve of their sin, then it hates the person. Because that's who they are, after all. See, that's the wrong understanding of God's truth. He didn't, God doesn't make any junk, He doesn't put sin on people. But what is sin is sin. And we're not ever going to call those things that are evil good. That would be against our faith. Against the knowledge of the truth that we've come into. But just because someone has sin in their life, we see it as as a thing, not as them. We see it as something that has deceived them, as a deception, as a demonic force, as... Something We don't identify that person as that. We see them as God sees them. Free of that. And we love them. And we hate that. That's what they don't understand. No, if you hate that, you hate me. No, that's not of God. And that's what you don't know. And that's why you need Jesus Christ. You see the difference? We don't hate anyone. We love everyone. God died. Jesus died for everybody. And he wants. It's God's will that everyone be saved. So we love them all. And we hate their sin. Because. It's. The source of that sin. Is the one. Who hates them. And wants them to die. And they're deceived. Or they're just rebellious. Turn to chapter Luke, uh, to the book of Luke, chapter 15. 
I generally go here this time of year, starting at the 11th verse, Luke 15, the prodigal son. And Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. In other words, divide up your estate now before you die. And in their culture, that, that was like saying, I wish you were dead. Because it wasn't ever supposed to happen until they had passed on. But he asked him, anyway. And surprisingly, the father did it. He divided his property between them. Even the son that didn't ask. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. He took off. I'm rich. My pockets are full. I'm going to go party. And he did. And he lost it all. And when he had spent everything, verse 14... A severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And remember the Jews, they weren't even supposed to touch a pig. <laughs> and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Verse 17, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now, his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Because he was, but he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours, but when, when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. 
we have a Father in heaven that loves us. A perfect, all-powerful, all-knowing, eternal Father in heaven. This is hard for people to understand. This and knowing this about God, about His thoughts toward us, His attitude toward us, His love for us, is essential in the Christian life. To have a proper view, a proper understanding of our Father in heaven. It doesn't matter who you are, a brand new Christian or a sinner on the street who's being told about Him. Or someone who's been in the choir all their life or preaching from the podium. If you don't have a proper understanding of God's love for you. It'll mess you up. I've known preachers who I loved and who loved the Lord, who loved the Word, and they were messed up because they had a an image of God as a mean I wouldn't say mean, but as a as an angry God, as one who was impossible to please. And was always taking account of any transgression in your life. Ready to punish you. An angry God. And you had to toe the line. And because, and I think it was because of their father. That's how they had been treated. And that's their image of a father. And so when they read about the father, that's. The impressions are there, you see? So, so much of our Christian life and our understanding of God the Father is based on our impressions of what a father is, you see? And if we all did as fathers should do, as God spells out in His book, if we were all raised by Proper Christian parents who taught us properly about the love of God and, and how a father is, is uh, as Christ is to the church and how the mother is as the bride of Christ and, and just taught us everything we need to know and we grew up perfectly, which I don't see that anywhere. <laughs> then we might have a better understanding. But, that, but as it is, some of us thankfully have a loving father that we can look to and, and sort of have a head start in this understanding of a loving father who's there to help us and not harm us. And others of us just don't, frankly. And then as we go through life, you know, I find that people, everyone has father issues. They do. They, even if they have a really good father, I've found that it makes them look down on other fathers or people who haven't had that. They seem to be a little higher minded. And then those that don't, they... Anyway, I, I could go round and round with this. But our impressions of what a father is influences 
how we think of our Father God until we get into the Word and we're truly discipled. And we, I remember one time after I had only been walking with the Lord in truth for maybe six months or so. And there was a guy there who was, he was about as religious as they come. But he was, he really loved the Lord. And he did have the gift of, of the, in the, he walked in the prophetic. And right out in the yard, in the, in the grass, in front of the church one day, he just looked at me and he began to prophesy. And he said, you know, your father in heaven just wants you to know that he is your father and he loves you. And this guy didn't know that I didn't even know my father and that I had a bad experience with what I did know of fathers and this and that and, and how I, even not knowing that, there was a lot in me regarding that. And man, it was just from God. I knew it at that moment and it just overwhelmed me. And I began to weep right there, you know, and all that. And, uh, but it was beautiful because starting then, I, you know, I began to believe God in the things that he had been saying and doing to me. He told me himself in an audible voice that I was his child and he was well pleased. Just like he told Jesus the day he was baptized. I heard his voice say that to me. And, you know. And I wept then, but I'm still not sure that I really believed it even then at the time. It took me a minute to, I mean a minute, I mean a year or two, (laughs) to really believe Him. And that's so sad, because we have a loving Father. And just as He loved the prodigal son, this sinful son, this lost son, He loved also the self-righteous son. And the self-righteous, there's a lot of self-righteous folks out there. They don't want to admit their need for a Savior because, like him, they feel like they've never done anything wrong. And they're entitled to salvation, entitled to the love of God, entitled, you see. And that's sometimes a harder place than it is for the sinner you know, some of us just, we know, we know how much we need a Savior. And man, we're thankful once we, he gets us to really believe we're forgiven because we walk in so much condemnation. Others just walk in anger because of their sense of entitlement. And they, when they feel rejection, it makes them mad because after all, they earned it, you see, in their minds. But God says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we're all in the same boat. You know? If anybody tries to live by the law, the law set out by God to, to, that shows us His holiness. If we try to live by that to obtain our salvation, God says, okay. But if you fail at just one point, You're guilty of it all, which means death. The punishment for sin is death, right? And then Jesus came along. You know, there's people that say, oh, I've done all those, you know, talking about the Ten Commandments. Jesus started listing some. And he said, I've done all that. Remember that that wealthy guy that came up to him, asked him what he had to do? He said, well, you know the commandments. Oh, I've done all that. 
all my life. And Jesus knew he was lying because he was attached to his money. And Jesus had a word of, of knowledge, you know, like we've been talking about. So he knew this guy, even though he hadn't personally known him, but he knew. He said, well, then go give all that you have to the poor and then come back and follow me. You'll be all right. The guy couldn't even leave, give a dollar. He left. <laughs> there was his problem, right? Jesus, he didn't do that to everybody, but that was that guy's, that was his God. And Jesus pointed it out, and so he, he was lying. He did have another God, and it was money. But he loves us all. Just as he loved the prodigal, and just as he loved the self-righteous son. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That's John 3.16. And I guess right there is the place for us to grab hold of and really chew on that, to meditate on that, because until we understand the price he paid for us, you know, usually base the value of something on how much it, it cost or how much it was, was paid for it. Well, when we see that, when we take it personal, that God loved us so much that He gave everything He had, this loving, perfect Father took a genuinely perfect child and gave that child for you. He had a son, and he wanted many sons and daughters. And he was willing to, just like a seed, he was willing to sow that seed into the ground to get more. He did that for you, and Jesus said that he was glad to do it. Does that mean he was so happy to see his son suffer on the cross and be treated so terribly? No. He looked past the cross. He looked up to now. He saw the family that he was creating by doing this, and he said it's good. He had to also see the pain that would come from it because he gave us a free will, didn't he? Will to choose him or reject him. And every time he's rejected, we know that must really, really hurt. And to see, just to turn on the television and see how they still... It's just like if he was hanging there on the cross, or it's like they were taking him to the, to the mock trials that they had for him that night and spitting on him and pulling his beard and hitting him and saying, prophesy now, tell us who hit you. Mocking him and... Ridiculing me. That's what I feel when I turn the TV on and I see people treating Christianity and Christians that so terribly. And you know, he feels it too. Anytime one of us is mistreated because of him, he takes it very personally. That's what he told. Remember when he saved... When he saved Paul, who was Saul at the time of Tarsus, he said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
He hadn't been persecuting him. He'd been persecuting Christians. Same thing. He holds you very dear. He takes it very seriously. I, there was a... Remember that pastor I told you guys about that told, told that woman who'd been in the concentration camp, I saw you plucking the ducks. When she said, where are you, God? That same pastor, he was preaching one time and he went out. There was a guy there who had been beating his wife. She was one of those who never let it be seen. and Nobody knew. But God knew. And this preacher walked over to the middle of the, the room the Lord had put this word into him, you know, knowledge, and he went, he leaned over to this guy, and he said, God has a word for you. And he leaned over to him in his ear, and he told him, if you do that to my daughter again, I'm going to do it to you. Scary. <laughs> He takes us very personally. He loves us. He wants us all to be saved. So we need to love everybody. We do love everybody. I just explain how we separate the sin from the sinner. And the world doesn't understand that. Acts 10, 34 and 35. Peter was talking. He opened his mouth. He said, of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. Remember that? No, he didn't play favorites. In other words, it's all about what he has set out. His, his spiritual laws, his natural and spiritual laws are what govern everything. His word about everything is what governs him. He's no respecter of persons. In the 35th verse, but in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. He wants to save all people. 1 Timothy 2.4 He desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And we know what the truth is. Here it is. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And we also know because John said it that Jesus was the Word made flesh. <laughs> so beautiful, man. He wants to forgive the sinner and the self-righteous, doesn't he? <laughs> Romans 3.22 through 24. And this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Praise God. So we are to love with the love that he first loved us. So Jesus is our example of how to love. And he, by grace, provides the power and the ability to do just that, doesn't he? For us to love like he did. Isn't love one of the abiding fruits of the Spirit listed in Galatians 5? Alright, so it's in there. We have the mind of Christ. He gives us this ability, but it takes practice, doesn't it? 
You know, we talk about all the fruit of the Spirit and faith and all these spiritual gifts that God has put on account for us and in us are like muscles that have to be worked out to get stronger and, and, and more healthy and active. And it has to be done on purpose, just like working out. And this discipline is something that a lot of us are kind of having aversion to. <laughs> you know, I used to laugh at myself and I had the little Planet Fitness keychain ring, you know, and I'd say every time I drive by Planet Fitness, I hold it up and say, it's not working, man. And I say, well, you're not working it. <laughs> you have a part to play. <laughs> oh. In Second Peter, Peter talks about this, right? Opening up the book of Second Peter. Way back in the back. Let's see. Revelation for John Peter. Okay. Second Peter. Just read a few verses. Start opening up Second Peter here. Simon Peter, servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a, a faith of equal standing with ours. Listen to that. The faith we've been given, this measure of faith, is just like going through the chow line in the army. Same measuring cup. <laughs> so, so he's saying right here, those you, you, you've all obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Oh, I love that. Even when I hadn't been taught about that, when I saw that, how can it be multiplied to me? Because those were the things I was looking for. More grace, more peace. Be multiplied to you. And then it tells us how. In the knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord. His divine power has granted. Now, I did exceptionally well in English, even though I talked Texan. I, uh, I had completed a couple of college courses in English and clepped out of some others just because even before I graduated high school. And I know that this has granted means that it's past tense. It's already happened. So this divine power has granted already done to us. All of us here, all Christians everywhere, all things that pertain to life. And godliness. And that's talking about this life. Not just the eternal life that we're going to enjoy with Jesus. But this life here. And godliness through, again, the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. By which He has granted. It's already been granted to you. His precious and very great promises. That's why we say quit begging God to do things He's already done. Find out how you're supposed to receive. Find out how to cooperate with his spiritual laws that he's put in place for your benefit. To receive the things by faith that he's provided by grace. He's already granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them. You may become partakers of the divine nature. So we can be just like Jesus. We're already just like him in our born again spirit. And we're becoming more and more like him. It's just today as you sit here and you hear these truths regarding our father who loves us. And 
His Son who saved us, you're becoming more like Him. As you hear and you go, oh, I, I see that. I hear that. I believe that. More and more. More and more. Little by little. Become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason. So here's our part. Watch this. Verse 5. Which is the number for grace. So if it's by grace, then there's nothing for us to do. No, there's always a part for us to play. Not to earn it, but to participate in it. For this very reason, make every effort. To supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control. Self-control, self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, strengthening getting stronger and bigger and better in your life, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. He wants you to be successful in the Christian life. And how, what is, why does it matter that you're effective as a Christian? Because, yeah, it's just like a bad thing is, Infectious in the sense that it takes over and corrupts. When you are, when you are successful, you, you, you will expand the kingdom of God. The light. You are the light of the world. The city on the hill. So don't hide your light under a bushel. Learn how to. Be successful at the Christian life. Hey, if I'm going to do this, if I'm going to go sit in this little church at five o'clock on Sunday when nobody else is there and it's us for all this time, I don't even understand it myself, but I keep going. Well, maybe you're being discipled here and you didn't even know it. Maybe you're becoming more and more like Jesus. And one of these days, God is going to use you to affect somebody or bodies. I think it's Father's Day. Today is Father's Day. Andrew Womack, one of my favorite men of God. I I think of the the times I've heard him tell the story. He talks about his mother a lot. They were close because his father died when he was young. I think he was only 12 or something like that. And the church they were in, I won't say the denomination because I don't want to think we against them. But they, taught, they told him that, well, God took him. God did this and heaven needed him. You know, that old stuff you hear at funerals that's so silly. And so <clears throat> he didn't understand why God would do that when they needed him here. And he was right to think that because he didn't do that. The devil did. We know that now. and He knows that now. But I've heard him tell the story of how when he was six years old. Was it six or eight? Anyway, he heard a message in church. 
And it was about heaven and hell and sin and forgiveness and all this. And he wanted to know what it all meant. And his father sat down with him on his bed in his bedroom that evening. And he explained to him in simple terms how we all have sinned and are separated from God because of this sin. And Jesus is the way to be reconnected with God and to be forgiven for our sins, that he had died on the cross. And and he believed it and he understood this gospel from his father and he accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior right there. His father prayed with him and led him into the kingdom of God. He said he went to school the next day and all the kids treated him differently. Some of them mocked him and made fun of him. And he didn't say anything, but they could tell something was different about him. And they started calling him a Christian and made fun of him. And he said he knew he was saved since that time. Now, he didn't receive the Holy Ghost or the baptism of the Holy Ghost until later. And he talks about that. But just think about that. His father, who I guess... Uh, it, you know, he died young when Andrew was young, but he had been sick for quite a while before that. He was a businessman. I think he owned an insurance company or something, and he was a good man, but he just didn't didn't play a big part in his life because he was ill, and then he passed on. But just think. Think of how many lives his father has affected With the light of God's kingdom. With the light of God's word. Through his son whom he led to to God. You see. He probably. Left thinking well I hadn't done much you know. And if you look at his life. Maybe you know he didn't. He was snuffed out short. He wasn't wasn't a big preacher. He didn't do anything. He, He just raised a little godly family. And he had a chance to share the gospel. And to lead this little boy into the kingdom of God who now ministers to millions upon millions upon millions and all over the world. So don't ever think that anything you do for God is wasted. Nothing is wasted on God. You're never going to outgive God. So if you feel like you given some time or this is a Oh, Lord, I try to read the Bible through every year, but when I get to Deuteronomy, I just, I skip a few pages, honestly, you know. Well, that's okay, but read it next time. It will bless you eventually. It will pay dividends. I have seen that in the things that I didn't want to do. Don't make it a religious thing, but anyway, trust me. God is good and he's never going to be outgiven by us. I wanted to, <laughs> I had a message that I was going to minister today, but I think we did. I think that's, I think it's, I think that's it. I think it's just about the fact that he wants us to know how much he loves us. What a good father he is. And that he will never leave us or forsake us. And no matter what impressions we have of what a father is or should be or could be or isn't. We can find out the truth 
in the Word of God, when we look at it through new covenant lenses, grace and truth of this church age, and see what how much Jesus has earned for us and paid for for us, so that God would never have to turn His back on us again and will never be angry and put His wrath on us again. There's another father that the Bible talks about, the devil. And Jesus called him the father of lies. And he's real, no matter what the world... You know, the devil, he would love for you just not to believe he exists. <laughs> but he does. Jesus talked about him a lot. He said in John eight forty four, he was talking to some religious men of the day who were corrupt in their hearts. And he said, you are of your father, the devil. You know, we're all born with that sin nature, so it's really not our fault. Until we come into the knowledge of the truth about salvation in Jesus. And then it's all about our choice regarding the son of God in this life. But these people were hard, their hearts were hard and, and they weren't turning to the Lord, even though they knew he was from God. And so he said, you're of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So we can be thankful that we are, have been taken away from that father because he was all of our fathers at one time, believe it or not. Because ever since the Garden of Eden, that sin nature was in us because the seed of man was corrupted. And we all came with that seed and that's why we needed Jesus. We were helpless to save ourselves. And so we can be thankful that we have a new nature. The nature of God. We are not a dual nature. We're not battling back and forth within ourselves. And all this dichotomy of man. No. If you have Jesus. You have the very mind of Christ. You have the spirit of God. Sealed and perfected forever. If you're born again, you've truly yielded your life and made Jesus Christ your Savior and Lord. Then your father is God in heaven. You have an earthly father still, it's true, for a time. But we'll all, to be get, all be together with this heavenly father one day. And it'll be glorious. And he loves us. We're not like those men that Jesus was talking to when he said their father was the devil. You were, like I said, but you aren't anymore, praise God. And that alone is enough to make us fall to our knees and cry out to the Lord and thank him every day. And I hope that all of you do that. Every time you think about him, I hope you thank him and talk to him and make him the center of your life, of your relationships, of your work, of your marriages, of your education, of anything that you partake. I know that Tavana and I uh, 
and others in our family that we've been able to influence and friends and anyone that will listen to us. We make God the center of our life and the essence of every decision that we have to make. And it helps. <laughs> and so I recommend it highly. We need to see our value to God in the price he paid for us, which is his son that he loved so dearly. Pray with me. Father, we pray for fathers everywhere today. We love you and we thank you that you are our father. We pray if anyone has a father, that they will honor them and be a blessing to them as Jesus is the perfect example of this, Lord. If we are fathers ourselves, our prayer is that we will humble ourselves and recognize our need and total dependence on our Heavenly Father in order to be the Father and godly men that He created us to be. And for everyone, we pray that they grow closer to their Heavenly Father and that we all put our total trust and confidence in Him, knowing that He loves us and cares for us. I pray that we will begin to seek Him and to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ and of His Word. That we will be able to walk in agreement with Him and be partakers of the manifest blessings He has provided for us in this life. Especially the blessings regarding our families. And we know that there is a great need for the restoration of the family in our nation, Lord. And we just ask that you intervene and that you begin to come against the lies and deception of the enemy and that you place godly men and women in charge of our educational system and our government, Lord, and our entertainment and movies and television, Lord, and that you just have godly people that rise up and take control away from the enemy and to teach our children properly and to teach them that a father needs to be in the home with his children and that masculinity is not toxic that you can be a man, a real man, and be a loving and good man and teach others to do the same. Thank you, Lord, for loving us the way you do and teaching us. Help us to hang on to your word, to cherish it, and let it take root and bear fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.